0: Good morning. Good morning. May it please the court, I'm David Wilson appearing today on behalf of the petition in this matter. The the parties are in disagreement on essentially two legal questions. The first question is, what is the appropriate test or measure of whether an offense is a violation of the aggravated felony definition of sexual abuse of a minor? The government believes that, we sh- that the court should look to 18 U.S.C. 3509A8, to decide what is the actual definition of the generic offense. We disagree. We also agree as to what is the meaning of the word offer. Um, Minnesota law is very explicit as to defining the term in, in contrast to the word solicit. The board took the position that they are essentially one and the same and failed to fail to recognize that Minnesota law, in fact, has recognized a distinction under its statutes and its precedents. The board's decision it suffers from what often is the problem with this particular removal charge, in that when it refers to 18 U.S.C. 3509, in one breath, it will say it's referencing the statute as a guide. It's not really a definition. In fact, Rodriguez Rodriguez, the underlying board case, Refuse to accept it as an actual definition. Yet in this very record, the board itself says the generic definition is and lists all the, the items that are contained in this very statute. The problem that presents for this court is the court can't even tell whether it should defer to this decision as a generic definition or if it is, in fact, going looking back to Rodriguez and only using it as a guide. The problem with that is that the criticism of using 3509 as a source of a definition has been is resoundingly showing up in case law. The momentum is growing both in the fourth, the ninth, and even the Supreme Court itself has touched upon the subject of where it thinks that the actual definitions come
1: from. Before you, before we get into the to the definition of offer, I'm wondering if you can tell me who the offer needs to be to under the state statute.
0: Under six zero nine three twenty four one B three, the offer would have to be between for to a, a minor who's between thirteen and under sixteen.
1: But here, there was a there's a government agent, correct? That's correct. And is that a problem? Um, you know, given that under Squevo Quintana, the sexual the, the sexual abuse actually has to be directed at somebody under sixteen and above thirteen, and here there was no such minor involved. It it
0: would be a problem if the definition was, as we suggest it is, for the actual generic offense. Um, It would be a problem for two reasons. One, because there's no actual child involved. Second, that we believe that the generic offense actually needs to require either physical contact or at least an act that occurs in the presence of a child that either is gratifying of a sexual nature or arousal of a sexual nature this disconnect of being in another room or another place is far beyond what 2241, 2243, 2246, the actual federal statutes discussing sexual abuse of a minor contemplate. Well,
1: and, and the state statute, um, what's interesting about it is there's one provision in the state statute that actually covers minors, right? Your, your client was not charged under that provision. He was actually charged under a provision that says, you need to have a reasonable belief that you're dealing with a minor. And so I wonder if that, you're talking about offers, and I'm wondering if that actually presents even a bigger problem um, in terms of the universe of offers that can be made that satisfies the generic definition, no matter what it is.
0: Uh, it's, I'll be frank, it's an interesting point. Um, it's one that I think the parties had somewhat overlooked in their briefing before the, even the immigration court. The focus really was, what is the intent um, relative to the operative statute, um, there is a Fourth Circuit case, and I'm going to be remiss to say I can't tell you the name of it off the top of my head. That did seemingly resolve, though it doesn't matter whether the person believed that the ch- it was an actual child or as long as they believed a the child. So I think there is case law that suggests that on that point, it, it may not be an argument that militates in my favor
1: in the immigration context. So arose it, in the immig- immigration. I believe
0: it's in the immigration context, okay. and, and it may be cited in I believe um, the Larios. L- decision from the Fourth Circuit. Um, I could certainly go back and try to find it, Your Honor. Um, I, I think, though, that even though in the, along that regard, though, in discussing the state statute, the board's decision explicitly says that there is no distinction between offer and solicit. And so in terms of looking at the language of the state statute, that is fundamentally wrong. Just on its face is a misstatement of Minnesota law. There is. A, Many precedents cited in our briefing, Koenig, Abdul Rahim, and going back to Christ from nineteen seventy nine that established that offer only means to say the words with intention. That's it. So if I literally stood on the corner and said, Hey, how much for sex? I have accomplished the offer.
1: That's Is the that point. really an offer? I, I would view it as going up to sort of, you know, a pimp or something and saying, Hey, I I want $100. I have $100 in my pocket and I want to spend it on on a really young girl under 16 um, or something like that. Isn't that more an offer than just saying, hey, $100?
0: Well, so I, it, our obligation is to find the minimum conduct. Um, and so the case of Abdul Rahim specifically noted that a jury could find that to be sufficient. How, hey, how much for sex? And that's all the defendant in that case was doing. He was asking that. He didn't propose a dollar amount. He didn't propose a specific act. He was walking up to women and asking that question. Um, And so Minnesota has addressed offer in the sense that you have to intend the question, the proposition. That's it. You don't have to intend the sexual act in the end. In fact, that's the heart of Christ, is that the defense was, well, I didn't intend to go follow through. And the Supreme Court came back saying, it does not matter. You intend to ask. And that is distinct from solicit. So even if the court were to accept that 3509... How is it distinct from solicit? They sound like the same thing to me. They sound the same. But in Minnesota, the solicit has been um, expanded upon in the case of Koenig. And Koenig, the Supreme Court, was very clear that solicit requires persuasion, inducement, entreatment, earnest effort to get someone to do something. Isn't an offer of money the same thing though, aren't you? So an, that So a, an offer is would fall within the same range, but it has it's, but offers also broader. You, so in the, in the Koenig case, there's a healthy discussion of this distinction because they even bring up the question actually um, Judge Strauss brings up, which is if I walk up to someone and just ask a question, negotiation, even according to the Minnesota Supreme Court under Koenig, is not solicitation. They're looking for some, essentially a crucible of pressure. They're looking for something that's trying to compel the person to act. Whether it's redundant offers or redundant offers, pressuring someone, repeated requests, whatever it is, that's when we start getting into the realm of solicit under Minnesota law. And so Minnesota criminal law is explicit. Solicit is divisibly different, it's both one defined by statute under 609.3. Three five two, but it's also in case law. The Supreme Court has spoken to that issue, and was very clear that offer is so much easier to accomplish. In fact, relative to your question, Your Honor, it can't be lost that you can a person can be prosecuted for the same for the for two different crimes, essentially for the same behavior because they do overlap. And and I was contemplating this morning, even walking in. Well, why would a prosecutor do that? Well the difference is actually sentencing and that matters in terms of understanding the structure of Minnesota law. Under 609.324, that a conviction for under 1B3 in particular is a standard sentencing guideline offense. It is not a sex offense. It is not a registration offense. So Minnesota categorically takes that crime out of the sex offense realm. 609.352, the solicitation in, to, of a minor, specifically, still so using the word solicit, is very much in the sex offense part, portion of the sentencing guidelines, and is a registration offense.
1: Do you think it'd be enough if if, uh, if somebody placed an ad saying, um, you know, uh, old man looking for young young woman, and then? And would that, would that fall under offer? How far, does, how far do you think it goes under, under Minnesota law? I think that would be one
0: step removed, and only because Minnesota law, in, in, in considering offer, that there does have to be an implication that there is some sexual element to it. You don't have to intend the sex at that moment or at a future date in spec- any specifics. But from the circumstances of the conviction, the, the, the overtone has to be there. Um, and so the the court decisions that discuss this will say, by implication, by the circumstances, a jury could configure out, well, that's what they meant.
1: Looking for companionship from a younger woman, Im- the implication being? Y-
0: you could just be looking for a reading buddy. Um, right. <laughs> so, I just, I'm just testing it. Right, right. Um, I think, you know, if you went as far as saying looking for someone to date, well, that might be you know verbiage that, that actually a prosecutor could argue. Well, oh, that's just code, okay. um, and they could present maybe a law enforcement officer who could speak to you know what is the common jargon used in these ads. But your example, no, is I think too far removed because um, there. So, in terms of offer, it does have to at least relate back to some sexual activity. That's clear in the jigs as well. Um, so it's not a di- complete disconnect, but the intention is not. To, if folk, the focus of the intent question and offer is not is not on the intention to have sex. It's the intent to ask the question. And, and what is the best case that stands for that proposition? In your um, the first case is Crist from 1979. Um, but then after that, you have Abdel Rahim. Um, that's a 2019 Minnesota Court of Appeals decision. And that's the one that specifically says, hey, how much for sex? And that into the court of appeals that was sufficient to sustain the conviction and they they, in that case in particular discuss the uh, offer is not a contract offer that under minnesota's definition for criminal law purposes that's not what they mean that's why the specifics about the details aren't irrelevant because they're not getting into a negotiation of consideration Um, they're not positing specifics that someone can accept
1: Let's say that we uh, disagree with you and that Rodriguez-Rodriguez provides a—we defer to it. Why is it how much for sex um, a form of inducement, enticement, or persuasion? I think those are all listed in Rodriguez-Rodriguez. In
0: because that statement itself doesn't offer something specific to encourage the, ch- uh, the child to, to accept. It is, literally just, it is literally just the question. And so in the scope of crimes— this is the, probably the farthest remove you could get from the term sexual abuse of a minor. And I think that's the key part, it's not to lose sight of that the aggravated felony is listed in conjunction with murder, rape. These are not light offenses, they are considered egregious conduct. The Supreme Court has identified that this removal charge is for egregious conduct. There's no way the Supreme Court contemplated that words would be enough to satisfy a definition. Even under 3509, offer is not on the list of potential crimes. Now, the problem with 3509 is the board will say, well, that list is not all inclusive. And my response to that, of course, is that the list then is indefinite. And then the state law is actually driving the question rather than the federal court system defining the act that it's using to measure against the state standard. And that's the problem with 3509. It is a non-inclusive list. And so we think that, as I said earlier, the that the standard really needs to be more focused on, is there conduct that is done in the presence of a child? Essentially, you can boil it down to that much. That's consistent with the federal statutes that actually discuss sexual abuse of a minor. Thank you. I see I'm running into my extra time. Thank you. Very well.
2: Good morning, your honors. Good morning. And may it please the court, my name is Rebecca Nahas, and I'm representing the United States Attorney General. The court should affirm the agency's conclusion that petitioner's conviction for hiring, offering, or agreeing to hire a 13, 14, or 15-year-old child to engage in sexual penetration or sexual contact renders him removable for an aggravated felony sexual abuse of a minor.
1: But here's the problem, and I ask, suppose again, you said agreeing to hire a 13, 14, 15, or 16-year-old child. There was no 13, 14, 15, or 16-year-old child. So don't we have a problem?
2: So, Your Honor, just to clarify, 13, 14, or 15, it's or 15, under 16. excuse me, yeah, yeah. But to answer your question, Your Honor, first of all, I would I would note that um Petitioner hasn't raised that argument, so we would argue that that argument has not been properly exhausted, and the agency hasn't had an opportunity to address that argument. But to to address the merits of your question, um, I know of the Fifth Circuit, and I believe it's Schroff and the Seventh Circuit. Um, in a case, um, I believe it's Hernandez-Avalos, the, the courts did consider this question of, Conduct directed at law enforcement, and the idea is that there's a purported, uh, the purported victim is a child, is someone who's under 16, and the conduct is essentially inchoate conduct because there isn't an actual child on the other end. But the INA contemplates that type of inchoate uh, attempt type type of conduct. But it, doesn't
1: that run directly into and and they do make the argument based on a Quintana, the the Justice Thomas opinion where Justice Thomas says quite clearly that if it's not, you know, he rejects 18- and 17-year-olds for purposes of statutory rape, same exact provision, and says, no, it has to be somebody who's, who's under 16 years old. And so whatever the Fifth Circuit may have said, doesn't that run directly contrary to what um, the case they cite says?
2: No, I don't believe so, Your Honor, because Esquival-Quintana was not addressing this question. Esquival-Quintana was addressing what the age of the minor had to be, the purported victim. It didn't address whether it could be law enforcement posing as a minor. And we can't forget that. It's law enforcement posing as a minor, and we need evidence that the defendant in this case reasonably believed that the person who uh, he is trying to hire for sex is under 16. So
1: a 17-year-old. Um, would not suffice under Esquivel-Quintana, but a law enforcement agent who's 40 years old, who's posing as a minor, would. And I think the implication of that also is the 17-year-old, if the 17-year-old looks like a minor, just like in this case, then it's good enough, right? I mean, because you, all you have to have under the statute is a reasonable belief that somebody is under 16 years of age.
2: Well, Your Honor, I, I, I think, um the, the issues are being confused because Esquivel-Quintana was dealing with statutory rape, which require, requires actual sexual intercourse between oh, I understand that. the yeah. offender and the victim. And so we wouldn't ev- ever have a scenario where there's an undercover police officer posing as a child. So Esquivel-Quintana simply wasn't addressing this question. It was it was simply stating that the victim has to be under 16. Here, the victim does have to be under 16. No,
1: I get that, but I think it was interpreting to the, you know, to the extent one's a text it was interpreting the word minor. Uh, That's the only way you could possibly read that because there's nothing else in sexual abuse of a minor. And so I just wonder why we wouldn't apply the exact same definition of minor here uh, for you know, for just a different crime.
2: Well, Your Honor, it was interpreting the definition of minor, but in the context of statutory rape. And the Supreme Court was very clear in limiting its holding to statutory rape crimes. And again, statutory rape crimes isn't going to involve law enforcement. So that question of whether minor could include a law enforcement officer posing as a minor wasn't before the Supreme Court. And I, and I, I think that many of the circuits do agree that esquivel Quintana is very limited to statutory rape crimes, um, and that we uh, that there are different generic definitions that apply to non-statutory rape crimes.
1: Suppose we disagree with you. Would the appropriate um, would the appropriate remedy be here because of a chenery right or whatever to give the um, to give the BIA a chance to look at that in the first instance? Since we have no direct case law on the point, unlike the Fifth Circuit. Um, what do you think about that?
2: Well, I think that the court can address it and and, find, and should find that it reaches sexual abuse of a minor, reaches this in, sort of inchoate conduct involving law enforcement. But then don't but, we have a Chenery problem
1: because the BIA never considered that?
2: But yes, Your Honor, I I think that's right, because it wasn't exhausted, it wasn't raised at all before the IJ, the board, or this court. It would be appropriate to remand for the agency to consider that question, especially because sexual abuse of a minor, as as I've laid out in the answering brief, is an ambiguous term. And it's within the agency's purview as the expert on immigration to decide these sort of difficult questions. So yes, I think remand would be appropriate. And
1: I'm going to let you go on with your argument. I (laughs) mean, Now we can get to the argument they directly raised, which is, what universe of I mean, this is related, but what universe of offers are covered by the Minnesota statute, but not the not the federal statute, or the contrary?
2: Sure. So I'm I'm happy to address that first. Um, I, I wanted to point out that. Petitioner is incorrect in characterizing um, our statute as the same as the solicitation statute in Minnesota, but for the word offer. These are completely different crimes. The solicitation statute is a statute that prohibits asking a minor to engage in sex not for hire. Our statute is prostitution. It's more serious. It's not only asking a a minor to to engage in sex, but asking that minor to do so in exchange for money, treating that minor like a prostitute. And so the the fact that these two statutes cover different conduct explains why they use different words. Offering to hire, uh, it it, it, it reads better than soliciting to hire. Um, and, And also... As for support for this, the, the state case law treats solicit interchangeably with an offer to hire. Um, I've cited those cases in my brief, and I also cite um, one case um, whose name is difficult to pronounce. Um, In the event, it is in my brief. In in that case, it's a published appellate decision. The court stated that a solicitation is complete once an offer is made. And so this is evidence that the state treats these terms interchangeably. And and Petitioner is uh, raising an argument that's really not supported by the case law. Um, I I also... um, wanna point out that Abdel Rahim, which is petitioner's case that he cites as a realistic probability that this statute covers something really uh, minor like uh, catcalling. I, I wanna point out that the facts of those cases involve and and the state court relied on these facts in affirming the conviction um, that Prior to um, soliciting a child, or excuse me, in that case it was an adult, the victim for sex, he had asked another woman if she was free and gestured for her to get into his car. Um, later, he, um, after speaking to that woman, he approached the second victim on foot and asked her for how much. And when she asked for what, he replied for sex. Um, when the victim asked for clarification of his statement by asking what, he re- answered to pay you for sex. He then attempted to convince her by saying something like, oh, you know, it's okay, no one would know. right?" So this isn't just catcalling. And this conduct directed at a 13-, 14-, or 15-year-old child is certainly psychologically harmful if it, and, and is more serious than, than merely soliciting a child for sex. Um, and I'll also note that the court pointed to the the fact that the defendant tried to persuade the victim to engage in sex for hire. And so if we're going to apply 350988 as the definition of sexual abuse of a minor, which we believe the court should... The, 350988 refers to persuasion, enticement, or inducement of a child to engage in sexually explicit conduct. So this falls squarely within that definition.
1: One, one question I had on, on this point was why the government, may you may not know the answer, why the government, when it's charged removability, didn't also charge under attempt, um, which would make a lot of the questions that, have, that, that we've asked today pretty much irrelevant because all you would need is a substantial step. Towards sexual abuse of a minor.
2: Well, I think that um, it, it's because this this conduct, I think this statute is is so clearly falls in the heartland of sexual abuse of a minor, um, and um, I think it satisfies the definition of sexual abuse of a minor no matter what definition we're applying. So even if we apply the Four Circuits generic definition, which is arguably the most restrictive definition of the misuse or maltreatment of a minor for purposes of gratifying sexual desires, the statute squarely meets that definition. It squarely meets the, the Ninth Circuit's definition for non-statutory rape crimes that the conduct involved sexual conduct that it be directed at children, and that it be abusive. Um, This statute really falls in the heartland of sexual abuse of a minor. And I was originally going to start this argument by telling the court, you don't really need to decide the generic definition in this case, because whatever... Definition you apply, this statute meets it, Um, and I think the Seventh Circuit in Gadom and has a really good discussion of why this conduct is so abusive towards children. And even if we don't have an actual victim, it's still um, an sexually abusive conduct in in terms of the intent of the defendant. Um,
1: Is that what you? Incidentally, would that be what you urge us to do? I mean, we've got Loper sitting at the Supreme Court. Deciding whether to Chevron deference should be should be a thing, and here you're asking us to defer to the Rodriguez Rodriguez definition. Would it be better if we say, then, in the in the government's view, whatever the definition is, this falls within it?
2: I think that's right, Your Honor, and, and I I will point out that one of the only published decisions in this circuit that has addressed the sexual abuse of uh, of a minor question in the immigration context. uh, Garcia-Urbano applied a similar approach, didn't really tell us what the generic definition was, but said that the statute before it clearly was because it involves statutory rape with respect to a victim under 16. Um, So we think that the court can do that, and maybe perhaps it would be a clearer path in light of that uh, Supreme Court decision That's or uh, case that's pending on Chevron. Um, And... In terms of the elements of the statute and whether there is... Can I ask a question?
3: Why, Why does it make more sense for the BIA to rely on 3509, which is kind of a procedural statute, as opposed to the actual criminal definition in 2243?
2: Sure. So, Your Honor, um, I want to be clear. The Supreme Court has precluded application of 2243 as the generic definition of sexual abuse of a minor. In Esquivel-Quintana, it determined that it would look to 2243 as one source of five... Different sources, but that it it expressly stated that it was not incorporating wholesale the definition of 2243 into the INA. And for two reasons. One is that Congress didn't cross reference 2243, but I think more importantly, the Supreme Court stated that if it did adopt 2243, it would categorically exclude the statutory rape laws of most states, which would essentially nullify the provision. And that's not to mention all the other types of sex crimes against children, like our case, our case is not statutory rape. And there's a whole range of, of sexual misconduct directed at children that this provision is intended to cover that 2243 would exclude. Um, and I can go through those. I mean, it's, it's statutory rape. Uh, touching, molestation, there's incest, there's child pornography, there's child prostitution. And so to have such a narrow definition, 2243, would would nullify the provision. Um, So 3509A8, is it a, a more appropriate statute because it covers the entire universe of sex crimes against children that the board deems to be sexual abuse of a minor. And I will remind the court that the the INA, the aggravated felony provisions, of course are civil provisions and and simply attaching immigration consequences to criminal conduct. So I think it is appropriate to rely on a civil provision. Um, And Unless there are any other questions on the generic definition, I just wanted to clarify that the elements of the statute do include not only by virtue of the definition of sexual penetration and sexual contact, incorporating the definition requiring the defendant to act to um, satisfy the defendant's sexual impulses, so there's this sexual intent by virtue of those definitions, but also the Supreme Court in Minnesota and Bennett, Squarely addressed the question and said, We don't want to sweep in innocent conduct, so we're going to require an intent to gratify sexual, excuse me, an intent to engage in sexual activity with the victim. So, I think Bennett um, better addresses the question squarely. Chris was a case that was dealing with jury instructions and whether the lower court was erred uh, in not providing a jury instruction. It didn't squarely address the question of whether that intent is an element. So. Um, I see that my time is running out, so unless Your Honors have any questions, we, we would ask that the Court affirm the agency's conclusion that Petitioner is removable for sexual abuse of a minor. Thank you, Your Honors.
3: Thank you, Ms. Nahas. Mr. Wilson?
0: Thank you. Uh, regarding Your Honors' question regarding whether a limited remand would make sense in this case, I would... I can understand why the court would be inclined to do that. I would ask, though, if-
3: Well, couldn't, couldn't the court also say that it was waived?
0: It, it could. Um, but in to the, So I'm only going to comment to the extent that the court would consider that as an option. Um, I do think, though, a remand doesn't require the court still to resolve what is the federal generic definition. If you send it back to the board without that rudder, it's just going to keep going in circles. The problem with the reference to 3509 is that it's not a criminal statute, as the court pointed out. It is a procedural rule. There is no measure of mens rea. There is no knowing, no no measure that knowingly, intentionally. It just list. It's a list of possibilities. It has no boundaries. That's the problem with referencing that statute. The government is correct. The Supreme Court did say, we're not going to accept 2243 wholesale. And it, but that's not the requirement. Taylor says we still need a generic offense to measure the state statute. The board is avoiding the question. It has avoided it for 20-something years, and the courts are starting to pick up on it. I'm asking the court to do the same. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Mr. Wilson. The court appreciates both of your appearance and arguments today. The case is submitted, and we'll issue an opinion in due course.